Heavenly Father, God, we stand here today grateful for the gift you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, that you asked us to do what we just did. Jesus, you said at that last supper with your disciples to take that bread, which represents your body that, would, that we now know would be broken on a cross for us. That you told those disciples to take that wine, that juice, which represents your blood that would be shed, that would be poured out on that cross, which we learned would be for the forgiveness of our sins. So God, we don't take this time lightly. We recognize it's because of what you did. You died in our place so that we could live. So that we could be a child of God. So we worship you for that. We praise you for that. And God, as we open your word this morning, we want to know what it can look like to show love back to you and how to do that and live that out in, in a way that you've called us to as we not only love you, but we love others. So God, would you speak today as we open your word? God, even as we sing that we're not going to allow fear to rule us and as we talk about this topic today, God, I know that fear creeps in and it prevents us from living the life you've called us to. And so, God, would you just weave everything that you're doing today into our hearts? Help us to see from our heart, from our soul. And then, God, help us to take the next step so we can experience life in Jesus. And God, that's my hope, and that's my prayer. So I ask that you would speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's great to have you here with us today. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down. They want to make sure you have a Bible. We're going to look up a whole bunch of verses, and we want you to be able to see those uh, if you're not using the YouVersion Bible app, which you can also use. But also we want to make sure you have a bulletin so you know what's happening here at LifePoint and what's going on. Uh, slip up your hand. Uh, guys right here, Dano, we got, we got one up right in the front row. Um, and we'll put those in your hands. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please take this Bible home with you and consider it our gift to you. Now, uh, as Ron mentioned earlier this morning when, when he was cutting jokes up here, and, you know, Ron did a pretty good job on that joke. You know, it, it sucked me in a little bit. And, and so make sure you uh, give him a rah-rah. Hey, Ron, that was really good. But uh, I, as we think about the Super Bowl that's happening today, uh, we really are uh, divided into two groups of people in here today. Okay, I mean, it really is true. There's, there's a, and it's not even about the Super Bowl. The two groups of people in this room, and it could be for some gals, because I know a bunch of gals love the Super Bowl and love football, uh, but I also know it's true of guys, too. The guys in some gals, two groups. You ready for the two groups? Those who love Tom Brady, <laughs> who, like, have a man love for Brady, some of you guys, even gals, and those who hate Tom Brady. That's the summary of today's Super Bowl, right? That's it. I mean, it's it's... You either hate the dude or you love the dude. You're like, oh, there's a Super Bowl? I just like, I just want. And so I get it. I understand that. We know that, that that's happening today. And uh, for all of you Patriots fans, good luck. All you Eagles fans, good luck. That's great. Uh, tomorrow, 14 million, they estimate, mate, of you are going to call in sick. <laughs> 14 million. I just want you to keep in mind as Jesus followers and you know, what the Bible says and all that kind of stuff as you decide to <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, 
make a decision. Now, I got to tell you, before we dive in, one more th th thing here is before we dive in, uh, I I'm a little concerned about myself speaking today and standing up here and preaching because you should never, you should never preach angry. And I'm really angry right now. So I just got to give you that, that disclaimer up front. And first service, they said, he didn't sound too angry, so hopefully it'll work out. I'm really angry, to which you want to say what? Why? why are you angry? Thanks for asking. Let me tell you why. So while the Super Bowl is taking place, I will be on an airplane. Thank you. I appreciate the love and care and concern. I'll be on an airplane because I'm going down to Southern California with this uh, leadership group that I've been a part of the last couple of years. And we're going to be meeting with a, a, a pastor down there uh, by the name of Larry Osborne. And Larry's an incredible preacher, teacher, uh, leader in the Christian community. In fact, he's written a bunch of books. Our, the eldership is reading one of his books right now called Sticky Teams. And so uh, about 15 of us or so are going to spend the next couple of days with him and, and just glean off of him and learn from him and, and let him speak into our lives. And and so I'm excited about that, but I'm angry because clearly he must not be, you know, a football fan because who in the right mind would schedule something Monday morning, you know, the day after the Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm, I'm angry. And so with that in mind, let's open the word of God and. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So to kick off, we are going to uh, just for a couple moments here, I want to I want to kind of put put you in, <laughs> you're like, what's coming next? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want to uh, kind of put you in school mode for just a minute or two um, to kick this off. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a, a, you know, you may or may not know, but the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, and I want to give you a Greek word, and it's the Greek word ekklesia. And that Greek word ekklesia appears three times in the, in the Gospels, and 111 times in the remaining books of the New Testament. And I want you to think about that. That's a lot of times for one word to be in the Bible, 111 times. Of those 111 times, with the exception of five times, the remainder of those times, the word ecclesia refers to the called out people of God. The called out people of God. Or to say it another way, it refers to the community of believers. Now, I, I bring that up because what's interesting is that when the New Testament writers had to decide, you know, those 114 times, what words they were, what word they were going to use to describe you and I as believers collectively, they had two options to choose from. One option was the word synagogue. Now, the word synagogue, it, maybe you've heard that word before, it, it really refers to a place, a location, a building. Or they could use the word ekklesia, which in its ordinary original Greek meaning meant simply an assembly, a group of gathered people. And so the New Testament writers having the option of a building or a place to describe us or to describe us as a group or assembly, they chose to use the word ekklesia. But what's interesting is what then transpired as time went on. Because you and I... I doubt, our re I don't think you're reading a Greek New Testament, and so you don't ever see that word ecclesia in our Bibles. Guess what word we see? You and I see the word church. Okay, we see the word church. I think it's kind of a bummer. 
And I want to tell you why. The reason why is because the word church is actually derived from an old English word back from the medieval days, back in England and Britain. Buildings were described as churches or churche or circuit, depending on how you want to describe it. The buildings were described as church. So because we've translated ecclesia into the word church or building, we've actually lost sight of the true meaning of ecclesia, of the community of believers. Now, I'm sure we're going to continue to call ourselves the church. No problem. I'm good with it. I'm not trying to you know, change our way of using that word. But I want you to imagine for a moment I want you, and this is where we're going to begin to go this morning. I want you to imagine if you could see us, the church, if you could see us as being the ecclesia, the called out community, a group of people sharing a common interest, and that's part of what this is, a common interest, which of course our common interest is who? Jesus Christ, right? God, utilizing our unique giftedness of each of us as individuals. We talked about that last week. We talked about how we are referred to as the body of Christ, and we said that everybody is somebody, everybody matters, and that everybody is actually needed. So if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you, go back and watch or listen. But imagine us, this, the church, actually being the ecclesia, the community of people, where we're utilizing our skills and gifts and abilities and talents that have been given to us by God, and choosing to connect in deep, meaningful ways with others in relationship in order to pursue life in Jesus, life to the fullest in Jesus. Imagine living in that type of way and in that type of life. I want to tell you right now, if that's who we can become as individuals and as the community collectively, our lives will be radically transformed for the better, and we will begin to experience part of life in Jesus that you can't imagine outside of what we're talking about today. So what does that look like? What does the ecclesia, the community of God, look like, and, and how should we function? And that's where we're kind of kind of head this morning and talk about, it, and we're going to kind of culminate uh, when we get to the end. So, so hang with me on that. Now, the Bible uses a, a bunch of different metaphors to describe this community, this ecclesia that you and I are a part of. We talked about one of them last week, and, and that's the body of Christ, right? That's one of the ways that we're described, the body of Christ in the Bible. The Bible also talks about, you know, Jesus being the vine, and we are the what? The branches. There's, a, there's another metaphor. Also, you might be familiar with this, this one. We are described, the community of God is described as the bride of Christ. We're also described as a holy priesthood. Another metaphor in Revelation, we're referred to as the lampstand. And even in a few places, we are described, metaphorically speaking, as a building. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, his favorite metaphor in describing us, the community of God, the ecclesia, his favorite metaphor was the family. The family. Because the family metaphor for Paul reveals his thinking about this community of God. I want to give you a couple verses here, and I want to say a word together a couple times. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the what? To the family of believers. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his what? Of his household. 
1 Timothy 3.15 talks about the church, the ecclesia, the community of God as being the household of God. And then I end with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, which says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own what? His own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. There's that commonality that brings us together, Jesus Christ. The entire Bible, the story of God, is God building a family for himself for eternity. Peter said it simply, perhaps the clearest. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he said, I want you to love your spiritual family. Love your f- spiritual family. Now, I, I suspect a lot of us have some pretty good, you know, physical families, but I also suspect some of us have some pretty messed up physical families, right? I mean, if that's you, don't raise your hand. Don't want to put anybody on the spot this morning. But, you know, we have physical families, and some of them are messed up. Some of them fall apart. And for some of us, it's really difficult, and it's really painful. But your spiritual family, it'll be with you forever. Your spiritual family will go on forever. In other words, you're going to spend eternity with your spiritual family. And so God says, I want you to practice now learning to love those you're going to spend eternity with. That's what we're talking about. Love your spiritual family. God says, I want you to connect with others and live out this family metaphor as the ecclesia, as the community of God. So how do we live it out? How do we live out this metaphor uh, of the family today as the ecclesia, as the community of God? Well, for starters, let me just ask you this question. Is it truly, truly possible to be a true community of God for one hour a week on Sunday morning. It's not possible, right? The very idea that we would go to church and connect with believers once a week is so foreign to the family metaphor idea for us, the ecclesia. I mean, what family members today only acknowledge one another's presence, you know, once a week or, or for some, you know, w- once every two weeks? Who, who does that other than like maybe a teenager? No, as my son says, no offense. How do we live out the family metaphor as the ecclesia, the community of God? I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at a few different verses in Acts. Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice a key word in this passage. We'll say it together. We're going to start in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, how do we live out the family metaphor as the ecclesia, the community of God? It says this, they what? They, they devoted, they devoted themselves. It didn't mean they were partially the way in. It doesn't mean when it was a convenient or on occasion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, these early believers understood you can't live as a community of God, and pursue life in Jesus apart from community. They couldn't conceive of a Christian living outside of community. So they were devoted. And one of the things it says there specifically, they were devoted to fellowship. In fact, God created you. God wired you to be connected to others. Did you know that? Uh, recently, a few years back, actually, there was a commission put together of 33 doctors, research scientists, and neuroscientists. 
and they did this study or, uh, uh, that they took quite a bit of time wa- with, and, and then they issued a report based on their findings. Now, this was a secular study. This was not some you know, church deal or Christian deal. It was a secular study. It was titled Hardwired C- to Connect, and, and it was about 100 pages, not, not hard reading. It's actually very, very fascinating. But the number one finding that they discovered, these 33 scientists, here is their conclusion. Humans are hardwired to form meaningful relationships. You are, the, the, the physicality, everything within us, we are hardwired to form and connect in meaningful relationships. Here's the point. You are made by God just to connect with others, to be in close relationship with others. And yet, a lot of us struggle with that, don't we? I mean, if we get real, if we get honest, say, I was honest with you, told you I was angry, right? If, if we be honest with each other, you and I know, oh, by the way, I'm not really honest. I mean, honest, I'm not really angry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so is that a bad thing that I just said that? All right, here's what I really want to say. That final speech, I'll put it right now. The reality is this. We face a tension. We struggle to connect because there's something inside of our frame of reference. We know we're hardwired to connect and we want relationship, but there's this tension because we also have this sense of don't get too close. Don't let them in. Don't pursue that relationship too much. Keep them at arm's length. I want to connect. I want to build meaningful relationships. God created me that way, but I have this fierce independence. That says, keep people out. I don't want to get burned. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't want that used against me. I'm not so sure they're really going to like the real me. I've tried it before, and it didn't go well. So consequently, you and I, we just keep our guard up, don't we? And we we reason inside of our hearts or our heads that we need to clean up physically and emotionally before we ever let people in. Man, those first believers, they fought through all of that thinking. Acts 2.42, they said, we're not going to allow that. So we devoted ourselves. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Of course, the next question is, well, what's fellowship? Give you another Greek word this morning. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it literally means participation. It means sharing. It means partnership and having something in common. You see, fellowship, koinonia, what the the early disciples devoted themselves to was a deep connection or a partnership or a sharing that took place between the, the believers that was based upon and built upon their mutual connection or commonality found in Jesus Christ. Or to just say it in simple terms for you and I, it fellowship simply means that we love God's family. It means being committed to one another just as much as we are committed to Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 John chapter 4, verse 21 says, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So you and I need to think about this. This is the single best way to live as the community of Jesus. And that's by sharing life together. 
choosing purposefully and intentionally to participate in life together, to partner together as we pursue life in Jesus. And that partnership, that sharing of life together, built into the word fellowship, built into koinonia, built into ecclesia, is this idea that we, of course, were sharing life beyond just Sunday morning. At LifePoint, one of our core values here is connecting with others in meaningful relationships as we seek this life in Jesus. That true fellowship happens when we seek out these relationships. And using Paul's family metaphor, like a family, we're just part of that means we're going to do some practical things. We're going to share life. How, what does that mean? It means we share meals together. We go on activities and outings together. It means we attend each other's birthday parties and our kids' birthday parties and our sporting events and our kids' sporting events. And, and we continue on and on. We help out with house projects. And when we need to move, we don't call the pastors. We call our small group. <laughs> I told you, that was where I was being honest. <laughs> the list goes on and on. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 2 again. Look at verse 44. Look at how this church shared, how they functioned as the community, the ecclesia of God. It says, verse 44, Acts chapter 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were together. They were together. They were together. And we need more of that today. Far more than what we have today as the church or the synagogue as the building. We need to be the community of God, the ecclesia of God, which means we're together. Those early believers, that's what they had. In fact, the Bible says how that played out for them. When they had needs, the needs were being met. They'd pull together. They'd pool their resources. They'd help each other because they were a community. Listen to, or skip over to two pages maybe, to Acts chapter 4. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 34. It says this. It says, there was no needy persons among them. How come? Because from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I love that. Here's a group of people who they weren't asking the question, hey, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? Why aren't you meeting my needs? The the spirit of the people of the ecclesia of this community, they said, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Imagine if you and I spent more time truly saying, God, my hope, my prayer is to meet needs, to care for others. How can I serve them? How can I care for them? How can I meet their needs? What can I do for you? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, serve one another humbly in love. That's God's great desire for us. Now, I get it. Totally do. True fellowship sounds wonderful. And deep down, maybe not on the surface, but if we get kind of into our heart, we know we want it. But we also know that it's tough. True fellowship, partnership, connection is difficult. It's hard work. 
fellowship means that, you know, if we're going to really put this into place, it means we're actually going to care for one another. We're going to help one another. We're going to love one another. We're going to be patient with one another. We're going to serve one another. We're going to sacrifice for one with one another. If you heard the common phrase in all of those, sen- all those parts of the sentence, it was the phrase one another. In fact, the Bible tells us in the New Testament over 50 different times, you, the community, us, the community, the ecclesia, I want you to practice all of these one another's. 50 different times it describes what these one another's look like. And all of those one another's point to the care and the concern that we have towards one another and that we exhibit as an ecclesia, much like a family does for one another, which is why Paul loved the family metaphor. I stay in contact with uh, a, a man who was my best friend in junior high and high school. We're still friends to this day. He's now a captain in the Navy. He's serving as the executive officer on the newly commissioned uh, USS uh, uh, Gerald Ford. It's the new aircraft carrier. You know, I've had the privilege of performing his wedding uh, down at the Naval Base in in San Diego. And then a few years back, one of the greatest honors I had was was, uh, doing, being a part of his change of command ceremony, where I was able to do the invocation and the benediction of that ceremony. And and, and that was just kind of cool because, I mean, I showed up, got to the front gates, and as soon as I gave them my pass, like, everybody snapped to attention, started, yes, sir, yes, sir, go this way. I had, like, a special pass for me, and I pull up, and all the yahoos are parking out way out there, and I had a spot for me right in the very front. I mean, it was amazing. I walk in the building, and, and everybody's just, yes, sir, this, that. And I mean, the military knows how to do pomp and circumstance, right? I mean, they really do. They're good at that. And, and, and it was an incredible time, and, and I loved it and loved being there. I was honored that he, he, he had me do that. We're still friends, always will be. Talk a few ha- handful of times a year. I, in fact, when the change of command or when the commissioning of the Gerald Ford was happening, I was watching it on TV, and, and he, he was the guy emceeing the, the majority of it, and President Trump's walking by on him. I'm like, hey, buddy, you should be, you know, high-fiving the president and all this kind of stuff. And so we connect. He's been to my house. I've been to his house. My kids have been in his house. Our friendship's great. It's wonderful. We'll always have it. But I've got to tell you something. That relationship that I've had since I was 12 years old pales in comparison to the koinonia fellowship I have with those I've been sharing life with here in LifePoint for the last 15 years. That pales in comparison. By living out the life point value of connecting with others in meaningful relationships and choosing to practice the one another's of the Bible, I've developed incredible relationships. Relationships that when a few people have moved away over the years brings extreme pain because we're not going to sh- still be friends, but we're not going to share life in the same way. See, that's what true friendship is, true fellowship. It's developing a deep and genuine and authentic relationship. Peter said, love your spiritual family. Acts 4.32 said they shared everything. They shared everything. So what does that mean? What does that mean for you and I if we're going to seek that fellowship, that koinonia as a community of God? What do we share? How can we share the Bible in our pursuit of fellowship. It gives us lots of examples. We don't have time to go through all those. There's a lot of one another's. Look them up and, and start practicing them. Let me just give you a couple couple that kind of help where I'm headed this morning. One of them is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. It simply says this, 
cheerfully share your home. Another translation says offer hospitality. Remember, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 said that they met in their homes. Now, why does God say that? Why in the world does God get super practical and say share your homes? Why is that part of the koinonia fellowship equation? Well, on Sunday mornings, you and I can come together. We can worship together. We can celebrate together. We can participate in communion together. We can give together. We can serve each other. We can learn together. But most likely, you and I will walk out of here not really knowing anyone better than we do right now. Not really knowing people better. Fellowship takes place in smaller settings. That's why the Bible says get connected with each other. Open your homes to each other. That's where you have a chance to develop and connect and develop in these meaningful relationships. And the more frequently you meet together, the greater the fellowship, the greater the connections. You meet once a month, you're going to have a month, once a month relationship. You meet twice a month, you're going to have twice a month fellowship. You meet once a week, you're going to have once a week relationship. Now, not only do we share experiences in our homes, the Bible tells us some things to do in the midst of that fellowship, in the midst of that sharing life together. It says in Galatians chapter 2, or chapter 6, verse 2, it says, carry or bear each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. He's saying, don't face life alone. You're not meant to be by yourself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, be happy with those who are happy, but also weep with those who weep. Or to look at a verse that we were kind of looking through last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it talked about us being the body and we're each a part it said each part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In case you haven't caught it yet, we believe that one of the best ways that we can become this caring biblical ecclesia or community, we believe one of the best ways to do that is to share life together beyond this Sunday morning setting. It's wonderful that we're here and we must do this as a church but it has to go beyond these walls. And it's why here at LifePoint, we just place a heavy emphasis on our life groups. We want life groups to be a group of people who are absolutely committed to connecting with others, that you understand what the Bible says about koinonia and about ecclesia, and you say, I am committing to sharing life by practicing the one another's of the Bible, and that I'll share my burdens and my heartaches and my joys and my victories that I'll be devoted to studying God's word together, opening God's word together, and figuring out how to live out God's word as we be a source of encouragement and support to one another. So the way we've always said it, or at least for the last few years, we've said it this way, is just to kind of get it in our brain. Circles are a whole lot better than rows. And the rows are these, and this is good, and we need to do this. It's important. The first church did it. They met every day. What did Acts chapter 2 say? Met every day in the temple courts. It's good. But then it went on and said circles were important because that verse went on and said they got into their homes also because that's where you take what this one-sided conversation is and you put it into practice. Say, well, here's what God spoke to me on Sunday morning about and here's what I heard pastor say and here's the verse we looked at and I had all these questions and I wanted to raise my hand in the service but I know that's like awkward and it's not a good idea, which it's not. Um, 
<laughs> Rod, do you have a question? <laughs> it's why you get into the groups and you then take what you've heard here and what God's doing in your soul and in your spirit and then you begin to work that out. It's what the early believers did. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to diving in together. And as a result, they experienced incredible joy. They were incredibly generous. They lived and loved their spiritual family so much that it became contagious among their neighbors. Did you know that? They lived out relationship in such a way that the neighbors around them wanted that kind of community. They wanted that kind of friendship. So here's what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, because they got into that, it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I can still remember what a great experience our life group had a few years back. We had an individual who was in our group and this person had started coming to LifePoint and, and the sign-ups uh, uh, sign for small groups happened and they said, hey, I should, I should go ahead and do this. And they didn't know any better, which was awesome, but they didn't know any better, good or bad. They just were like, hey, they said to do it, I'm going to do it. So they signed up and they were in our group. And we find out, found out very quickly is they were just really checking Jesus out. They had questions, but they weren't a Jesus follower. They, weren't a, they, weren't a, they didn't surrender their life to Christ yet. And during that time, as we started sharing together and hearing each other's stories, I can remember one time very vividly, the person came up to me and said, Chris, I got to tell you, I feel real, real bad. I feel like there's a lot of times we're in this group and there's a lesson you want to go through or a study we want to do and you guys all pause and take time to answer my questions and I just feel like I'm maybe kind of hurting the group and worry ruining the group because like you'll end up spending all this time answering my questions and all that and you know what I said I said you're right get out of here I'm done with you let me ask you this if you're in a group with other people and there's somebody in that group who's exploring faith in Jesus Christ and they're asking you questions and you have this huge lesson and you're so excited and, and, and you want to dive in and everybody's ready to study the lesson, but that person has questions, what are you going to choose? You're going to choose meeting that person where they're at all day long, right? Well, eventually this person gave their life to Jesus Christ. Eventually this person got baptized over here. They're now walking with the Lord. They're now involved in another life group pursuing life in Christ. That was the greatest time for us. I don't remember anything about any lesson that anybody talked about. I, none, I don't remember any of that. You know what I remember? That time as asking those questions, answering those, sharing life together. And when they, that person saw us interacting the way we loved each other and cared for each other and shared together, that was part of that process of them saying, if that's the God you serve and this is the life that you live as the person who follows that God, I want that. So in Acts chapter 2, because of that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, when you're living out the one another's of the Bible and true fellowship, it's contagious. And those who you know, who you're building relationships outside of someone who's a Christ follower, they're going to want that. In fact, John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this, everyone will know you're my disciples, a follower of Jesus 
by your love for one another. We love each other. They see that. They want that. I want to encourage you to say, what do I need to do to connect with others? To take a next step. What does your next step look like? It starts all the way in the beginning of being a friendly hello. Just being willing to reach outside of yourself and say hi to someone on a Sunday morning all the way up to get fully involved in groups. Where are you in that journey? And what's your next step? Let's watch this video clip of how groups have connected, uh, connecting with others has impacted them. I think the thing to know about LifePoint is we're a church and ministry department. And I had been coming to LifePoint probably about like five, six weeks at that time. And so basically I go to renovate and it's just me and my brother and I'm terrified. Like I'm against the wall, you know, just like by myself, like clinging to my brother. But through just the students reaching out and the leaders reaching out, like, LifePoint became my home. Like, I grew in my faith, and I just grew in relations with people here, and I just felt more connected and that this was my second home. I came to LifePoint because of, of Chris and Heather. Um, our kids have been friends since first grade, and, and I remember Cameron inviting the twins every single, like, from second grade on, come to our church, come to our church. and. We weren't going to church at the time, and we came when the doors opened here in 2012 to support our friends. And then I was like, oh, Chris is not half bad. So <laughs> let's go back next week. And I just remembered that actually, it was really because of Cameron that we came to LifePoint and the relationship that he had with Devon and Duane. And I've been connected now for six years. One thing that I, um, that was impressed upon me after being at LifePoint for the past six, seven years, is um, you can't wait for someone else to do those little gestures. Um, and I was really convicted a few years ago um, after a sermon that was preached about greeting those around us that um, I don't know, that aren't familiar. It's so easy to go to somebody that I know and I'm already friends with and then we're connecting and I'm probably gonna talk to them after the service anyway and greet them and use that time, that 30 seconds to be selfish in a, in a way. And I was super convicted uh, by the Holy Spirit probably about four, three or four years ago. So I actually had to tell my friends around me, <laughs> I'm not probably gonna say hi to you <laughs> during the 30 seconds, don't take offense, because I wanna go and, and meet new people and, and greet them and learn their name. And I, I took that seriously because I realized, one, I needed to obey the prompting, but two, if I don't do it, who else is? If everyone had the mindset that I did, I'd like someone else back in. I'm gonna go, you know, say hi to Chrissy. Um, if if I have that attitude, if I adopt that mentality, we run the real, very real risk that that person's never greeted and never um, touched on the shoulder, and we miss an opportunity uh, that maybe God wants to use in that moment to uh, reach that person. With life groups and sharing community, not only the good times like having kids and making it through that but the tough times through death like my group has always shown up like even when I don't ask they just show up so when my sister passed away call from my life group they're there when my dad passed away they're there like beyond what you would expect or ever imagine and they just surround you and get you through it it's amazing and without that I just and I've I felt disconnected at times because of my own doing, like not serving and not, not 
doing what I know I'm supposed to do. And when that's missing, it's just so hard. Uh, the little things to get through are just so hard. But with them, it's so much easier. I think the key to connecting was I started going to the ladies' um, Bible studies. Um, that is the best way to connect. And it's scary at first, but I think sometimes you have to do things afraid in order to get past that fear and connect with people. And I'll just add to the small group feeling it is also the excitement we get or I get when you want to share that special event or something spectacular is happening. When we first found out we had twins, the first people we called weren't our parents. <laughs> it was our small group. Um, it was kind of <laughs> and then we laughed later. Um, but the excitement of wanting to share life. And so, yeah, they're there for us during the bad times, which is awesome and so needed. But I mean, also sharing those great moments, I think, um, shouldn't be overstated either. I think it's time for us as the ecclesia, the community of God, not the church, the building, but as the community of God to acknowledge what the research community has figured out, that God's known from the beginning that we literally need each other to survive and, uh, and really more importantly to, to thrive. God's calling you to be a part of the ecclesia a community of believers where you are absolutely committed to connecting in deep, meaningful relationships with others in order to pursue life in Jesus. And as you listen to some of them, and we're trying to capture, we spent over an hour together, and there's so much that behind even what I just saw there. But here's some people who are saying, I need to take that step. And it starts with the say hello to people like Sherry's talking about and stepping out, and it ultimately culminates in sharing life in deep ways, even when you're struggling with people who you know have your back. Will you take the steps necessary to make it happen? Will you take those steps this morning? And I'm asking you, get in a group. Will you do that? Will you join a life group? Right when the service is over, you can go through the doors out there and go out right about there, and uh, you can get signed up. We're just getting them started again. And maybe for some of you, that's, that's you got to put yourself out there. And, and maybe you're at a place like, like you know, a fear, and you got to kind of work through that and press th through that. Don't hold back. And when, not if, but when you feel like it isn't working, don't give up. Keep at it, because eventually you're going to experience that true fellowship that the Bible talks about. Eventually, you are going to be able to have those deep, meaningful, authentic, and genuine relationships so we can pursue life together in Jesus Christ. And we invite every single person to that. Let's pray. God, would you hear our prayers this morning? We talk about this and we understand this in our head, but God, move it to our heart right now. And right where you're sitting, I think there's, many here who God's nudging and God's calling you and God's talking to you and you know it's time maybe it's time to get back connected in a group to use that as a springboard into living out true fellowship maybe for some of you it's like that person in our group who for the first time said hey I'm going to go try a group 
And if that's you, you just need to know that every single person will embrace your journey. So God, hear these prayers. So right now, right where you're sitting in your own words, will you say something like this? Say, God, this morning I, I, I declare to you, I say to you, I'm committed to connecting in meaningful relationships with others as I try to seek life in Jesus. And then will you tell them what step you're going to take? You're going to join a group? You're going to reconnect with some others? What does that look like for you? God, hear these prayers. And as we live out the one another's of the Bible, God, I'm confident that you will do amongst this ecclesia what you did in that first ecclesia where you added to the number daily those who were being saved. And God, we want to be a part of your spirit's activity in our lives and in the lives of others. So we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.